we're going to start a new series, and really, where it goes is this. There's a lot of phrases that we throw out, we use them often, and there's some truth to them, but then when we dig a little deeper, we go, well, there's problems here. You know, when we start to play with the phrase a little bit, it begins to untangle, there's disclaimers we have to place, and all those different things going on. So I felt it would be good for us to look at those, because it brings up a whole host of other issues that are behind the, the, the phrases. So here's the phrases we're going to be looking at in the next five weeks. Everything happens for a reason. That's what we're going to look at this weekend. Um, Next weekend we're going to talk about, uh, this is the phrase that hung in our dining room as I grew up. And and I faced, uh, the wall that it was on, I faced it every day. We we sat in our places. And the sign on the wall, the, the little thing that my mom made said, God helps those who help themselves. You know it, right? Uh, here's another one. God won't give you more than you can handle. Here's another one. God said it, I believe it. That settles it, right? And then the last one, God, uh, love the sinner, hate the sin, right? The, the guys are going to preach on that one. I, I'm going to not take that one. I gave it to uh, Nelson and Mark to preach, so good luck with that. <laughs> hey, they're all hard. <laughs> This, uh, this weekend we're going to look at uh, the first one, though. Everything happens for a reason. Uh, maybe you've used that phrase. You've said it. Um, you, I've heard it. I heard it twice this week, unsolicited. Twice I heard it uh, used. Um, and uh, we're going to take a little closer look at it. Everything happens for a reason. And generally, the, what I was thinking about is why do, what, what are, when people throw this phrase out, why are they throwing it out? What's behind the phrase? And there's a few things that kind of came to my mind. The first one is, somebody says this when they say, I hope this is, I hope this is happening for some good reason. Uh, it's like a buffer of hope. It's raised in the face of a difficult or painful event. And essentially what they're saying is, I need to know that there is something that will, is good that will come out of this event somehow. I, you know, we think of, uh, it's been a rough week. When you think of uh, out west and this, another college, another school has been hit with the shooting and uh, people say, well, I think it's this problem and I think, no, this is the problem and I think we need to fix it like this. We need, You know what I think we need to do? I think we need to pray. I think we need to pray right now for those families. Let's do that. So, Father, this is one of those times that we come to you and we don't understand and we don't really have an answer. But we know there is a tremendous amount of pain and suffering that many families are going through today, this morning. There are those who are, are struggling in the hospital, maybe for their lives. There are those who are waking up, realizing and remembering that, that they have lost somebody very close to them. Some who are just starting out in their lives. We ask that you be a very present help in this time of trouble. We pray that this might be an opportunity for those uh, people to know your love and grace and mercy. We ask, Father, that you would uh, just help them and comfort them during this difficult time. And, Father, we, we don't know how to fix this problem. But we do know that you're, uh, you're there and that you love us. And for that, we take great comfort. So be help, be a help for these folks and uh, draw them to you during this time. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.
So sometimes we throw that phrase out and we say, well, I hope there's a good reason for this. Or sometimes people use this phrase and says, well, it really doesn't matter what I knew, do because I'm just, a, I'm just a, a character in a novel and I'm just carrying out my play, uh, my part in the novel and it really doesn't matter what my actions are. My actions don't affect anything. I'm, I'm like a cog in a machine and uh, my choices are pointless. And sometimes people use this in a, as an excuse for inactivity or uh, for apathy. They become apathetic. Or some people use this phrase as, well, they got what they deserved. Everything happened for a reason. Uh, when Katrina hit New Orleans, people, I heard Christians saying, well, that's God's judgment on that wicked city. Well, I hear people saying that this morning about North and South Carolina getting doused with rain and people's houses being destroyed, and I don't hear that. Um, uh, you know, in, in, in the book of Job, uh, and you read it in the Bible, the book of Job, uh, Job's friends came and they brought comfort to him. They said, Job, uh, they didn't say anything. They just sat with Job. And then after a few days, they, they started saying, now we have to figure this out. Uh, Job, what did you do? <laughs> and it was like different versions of it, but essentially it came down to, you know, r- innocent people don't suffer. Well, yeah, they do. <laughs> you must have done something, Job. Everything happens for a reason, Job. God, at the end of the book said, no, Job didn't really. It wasn't due to his sin. It wasn't tied to anything he did. Usually, though, we use this phrase when bad things happen, and it reveals a tension, and we feel it in this world. We feel this tension that when bad things happen, we, we want to know why. We want to have an explanation. We want to try to prevent it. We tr- want to try to come up with a plan and, and sometimes we feel helpless. And, and behind this question, I believe, a certain, there's a certain uh, questions that we have behind this statement. Is there's a number of questions. Number one, is there somebody at the wheel of the universe? Is there somebody there that's in control of all of this? The second question we come to is, are they intelligent and loving? Do they know what they're doing? They know what to do. Do they do they care? Do they love us? It, it, uh, you know. Or, and then the third one is: Do my choices and actions matter or make a difference? Does it really matter what I do, or is it just fate? Now, if you haven't noticed yet, I've bitten off a lot more than I can chew in 30 minutes, and <laughs> I'm not going to solve any problems or come to any conclusions, but we're going to look at a couple of passages of Scripture where we're going to see a tension in Scripture. And this tension is you really can't fix it and solve it and explain it, but it's held in tension. And the tension is between a God who is sovereign and a mankind who has been given free will. And they're both taught in Scripture, but they're held in tension. And then the other thing we have kind of swirling around in all of this is we live in a world that is fallen. And so those all kind of come together. And so we're going to look at the first passage we're going to look at is Genesis chapter 50. And we're going to look at the life of Joseph. This is on page 43 of your chair Bible if you'd like to follow with me. Um, so I want to give you the context and then I'll read the passage and then we'll, we'll, we'll look at what this passage says because it has one kind of an incredible statement and it's really helpful for us this morning. Um, so Joseph was uh, loved by his father. Uh, he, he was sold by his brothers as a slave. 
And Joseph had a very difficult time in, in Egypt. It did, it did not go well for him most of his time. But then, at, at, you know, God brought him up through the ranks, and he became very powerful in the nation of Egypt. And so powerful that when, he, when there was a famine, his father and his brothers came to Egypt because they were going to either die or come to Egypt. And Joseph took care of his brothers and his father. So what has happened now, his father Jacob has died. And so his brothers are absolutely convinced now that dad is dead, that Joseph is going to take out retaliation against them for what they did to him. They're, they're absolutely convinced this is going to happen. So this is where we find our passage. Jacob has died. They've just buried Jacob. And now the brothers are concerned that Joseph is going to bring retribution to them. Notice what it says in verse 14 on page 43 of your chair Bible. After burying Jacob, Joseph returned to Egypt with his brothers and all who had accompanied him to his father's burial. But now that their father was dead, Joseph's brothers became fearful. Now Joseph will show his anger and pay us back for the wrong we did to him, they said. So they sent a message to Joseph. Before your father died, he instructed us to say to you, Please forgive your brothers for the great wrong they did to you for their sin in treating you so cruelly. Dad didn't say that. I'm almost 100% confident they made this up. Now, maybe dad felt that way, but he didn't say that. But notice this. It says, when Joseph received the message, he broke down and wept. Then his brothers came and threw themselves before Joseph. Look, we are your slaves, they said. But Joseph replied, don't be afraid of me. Am I God that I can punish you? Now, here's the statement we want to look at. You intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so that I could save the lives of many people. Now, there's two important truths that Joseph points out in this in this phrase, in this last verse that we looked at in chapter 50, verse 20. Number one, Joseph is holding his brothers completely and fully responsible for their actions. He doesn't say, oh, you didn't mean it. It, You couldn't help yourself. It was part part of God's plan. He didn't he wasn't saying it. He was saying you're absolutely completely responsible for what you did to me. Absolutely. Uh, You are guilty. Uh, Secondly, Joseph is saying, but God took your evil actions against me and used them in a way to preserve our family and thus the promise that God made to Abraham and to the nation of Israel that is going to be coming because we have the 12 tribes here. And now in Egypt, uh, this nation is going to be preserved because of the hardship that I had to go through. And because of your devious treatment of me, God turned it over and turned it on its head and brought it out for a good thing. Now, that doesn't excuse you for your behavior or what you did to me, but God did a miracle in spite of you or through you or because of you. Now, here's, here's the balance we see in Scripture, and, and there's a, a number of moving parts, and this is, this, you know, there are books and chapters and theologians that have argued about this. They still argue about it. We have systems of, of theological thought called Calvinism and Arminianism. Uh, we, there's just so much going on here, but I'm just going to give you kind of a, uh, my navigating through some of these issues. The first one is, what does Scripture say? It says that God is in control. 
from cover to cover, the Bible says God is in control. It's his world. The second thing that we know from Scripture is that God has allowed evil and suffering into our world. He said to Adam and Eve, he said, this is a perfect world. You are in a perfect world. You are in a perfect environment. Now, if you go and you eat from this tree, if you rebel against me, if you sin against me, you are going to unleash evil like you have never seen it. Not just will, will there be evil in mankind, but there will be the earth will be under a curse. And Romans says it groans under this curse. So now we're, we're talking not just that, that there's human evil in the world. And by the way, we've seen that this week. We've seen it, right? We've seen how uh, evil can come out and just strike. And we say, what do we do? How do we prevent that? And the answer is, don't know. But we also see that the world is, 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 is under this curse. And there, there are natural disasters and there's all these other things that are going on. And God says that when you eat of this tree, when you, when you break covenant with me, this is going to be unleashed if you do this. And they did, and it is. So God is in control. We live in a fallen world with fallen people. And that means that bad things can happen to good people. That's Joseph. Now, Joseph wasn't perfect, but he was, you know, essentially he was a good person. Now, uh, a number of years ago, and this was quite a year, number of years ago, uh, this was a hot topic, and there was a book written, uh, Why Do Bad Things Happen to Good People? But it was written by a rabbi, Harold Kushner. And essentially he said there's, there's really only two explanations for this. Why do bad things happen to good people? He says either, number one, there is a God who is not powerful enough to stop it or do anything about it. Or there's a God who's not loving. He doesn't really care. He's powerful enough, but he just says, I'm not going to do anything about it because I just don't care. So Kushner basically came to the conclusion that I can't bring myself to believe as a rabbi that there is a God up there who is unloving. I'm just going. And so his conclusion in the book was that God cares and he loves, but he just can't do anything about it. It's, It's just too much for him to handle. Now, as I said, I don't believe that's taught in Scripture, but uh, that was his conclusion. So God is in control. We live in a fallen world where evil and suffering is prevalent. We, uh, that means that bad things can happen to good people, but we are still responsible for our own sinful actions. Scripture says that over and over. Essentially, that's what Joseph's saying to his brothers. You're responsible for what you did to me. Now, I believe that, don't know what the percentage is, but I believe a lot of the suffering that we go through is self-inflicted. That it's because of choices that we make, that we bring a lot of hurt on our own lives. We make horrible choices. We make choices that are wrong, uh, that are ungodly. We know they're wrong, but we go ahead and do it. And then we suffer because of it. And we brought that suffering out. We have no one to blame except ourselves. A good portion of our suffering is tied to that. But here's what uh, else we find, and this is the other statement that, that Paul makes. Paul, or excuse me, that uh, Joseph makes. God is able to take our sinful actions and still accomplish his perfect will. So what Joseph was saying is you meant it for evil. In other words, you're guilty for what you did. But God was able to take what you meant for evil and turn it out for really a good thing. In the end, it turned out to be a really good thing. And it's a critical thing. 
in Joseph's case. So we went through a lot of stuff there. Now I want to jump to a couple of other passages. I want you to jump to Acts chapter 2, verse 22. And this is um, on page 831. So the context here is that Peter is preaching on the day of Pentecost. And all the people have gathered together for the festival. And uh, so he's preaching the gospel. And he's basically telling the people in his audience that the Messiah has come. The one they had waited for. The one that the Old Testament prophets had talked about. The Messiah has come, but there's one minor little problem. You murdered him. You hung him up on a cross like a criminal. (laughs) Okay? And essentially that's where Peter is at in his sermon in chapter 2, verse 22. He says this. People of Israel, listen. God publicly endorsed Jesus, the Nazarene, Nazarene, uh, Nazarene, by doing powerful miracles, wonders, and signs through him, as you well know. But God knew what would happen, and his prearranged plan was carried out when Jesus was betrayed. With the help of lawless Gentiles, that's the Romans, you, the Jews, nailed him to the cross and killed him. Now, here again, we see God had a prearranged plan for Jesus to suffer and die. But Peter places the blame squarely on the Jews and the lawless Gentiles. He says, you nailed him to a cross and kill him. In other words, what he's saying here is Jesus was destined to uh, was uh, destined. The death of Jesus was destined to happen by God's will. It was not possible that it wouldn't happen. But. Those who betrayed Jesus and put him on the cross were not forced to do it. They chose to do it. They freely chose to do it. And they are guilty for what they did. They are fully liable and responsible for their decisions. So here we have a tension between the free will of man. He's not coaxed. He's not coerced. He freely chooses to do this. It's evil. It's wrong. And yet God says this was destined to happen. This was part of the plan. Now, how does that work together? The answer is, it's a mystery. It's a mystery. I don't know how it goes together. Because when we start talking about the free will of man and the responsibility for our actions, it's taught in Scripture. When we talk about the sovereignty of God and how He has a plan and a purpose and how He foreordains things, it's taught in Scripture. Now, how do those work together? I have no idea. And and by the way, anybody who says they do is, is just blowing smoke. Because they're like two rails on a train track. You you see both the rails, and as you kind of look ahead, they kind of look like they come together. And I think they come together in eternity. I don't understand them. Here's what we do know. We do know that God's plan will always be accomplished, and that man is always responsible for his actions. We can't blame God. Jesus is sitting at the Last Supper the Passover meal. And he says this phrase, he says this about his betrayer, and we know his betrayer is Judas, and Jesus knew Judas was going to betray him. He knew it. He knew that he was going to do it. And still Jesus, I think, offered him an opportunity. And this is what it says in Luke chapter 22, 22. The Son of Man will go to his death as it has been decreed But woe to the man who will betray him. You see that tension there again? Now I want to jump to 
Paul's understanding, and this is kind of an exclusive group that Paul's writing to. Paul says this, and it's an incredible chapter. Romans 8 is an incredible chapter. But in verse 28, Paul says this. We know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. Paul's not saying that everything that happens to us is good. Okay? He is saying that God can take everything that happens for those who love God. That's the exclusive community. It's not for everyone in the world. It, it, it's not for everyone who, who hopes there is a God out there. It's for those who love God. And it basically says it, it, we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God. And the promise is that God is working behind the scenes to work everything out for good for those who love and are called according to his purpose. This means that God has a plan for his children. Oftentimes, his plan will take us down a dark path. Have you been down the dark path? Sometimes God says, my plan for you is for you to go down a dark path. A dreary path. But here's the good news. God is working behind the scenes for our good. And we must determine to trust Him. You know, we only use this psalm most of the time. We use it in, during funerals. We use the 23rd psalm. And we have the phrase in the 23rd psalm, Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Well, for somebody who's dead, that's kind of a little late, isn't it? It's, it's seriously, it, when you think about it, that is a verse for those of us who are alive. When we're, we're down a dark path, what, what, the, what the psalmist David is saying to us is, when you're down in the valley of the shadow of death, when it's a dark path that you're on, you need to trust that the shepherd is there, his rod and his staff is right there with you in that dark place. That he has a plan. That there is somebody in charge. There is somebody who is sovereign. There is somebody who has, has, a, has a plan. And there is somebody who can walk with you during those difficult times. You see, God gives us the assurance. And by the way, you, you may say, well, I don't know if I like this. I don't know. What's your other option? That you live in a world that's just kind of random? That's just kind of, things happen and, and, and God is like, oh, I don't know what to do here. You know, I mean. But God gives us the assurance that even wickedness and tragedy, which we know was not part of God's original design in the garden, is nonetheless being woven into a wise plan. We take comfort as His children, knowing that He has a plan. So what is the problem with this phrase, everything happens for a reason? Well, it's trite. It, it needs a lot of disclaimers. You have to say, well, what do you mean by that? Well, what are you talking about here? Uh, for the believer who loves Jesus, though, yes, God is working behind the scenes for our good. And, and, and we need to remember that uh, God hasn't said to, you when, said to us, when you come to, the, come to me, uh, you will have a, a bright and cheery path. <laughs> he doesn't say that. Uh, in fact, he says, in the world you will have tribulation 
you'll have trouble, but, but I will be there with you. I will walk with you during those times. And, and that's really where I want to end. I want to talk about uh, the hope that we have. You see, because it's one thing to say there's a God who's sovereign over this world. He's sovereign over evil. He's sovereign over uh, just, just bad things, sin and death. It's another, so, so in other words, there, there's a God who's sovereign over suffering. But here's, here's what we know about Jesus. Jesus is God, not being sovereign over suffering, but entering into suffering. When he came into this world, he entered suffering. And this is uh, the last passage we want to look at. It's found in Philippians chapter 2, verse 6, page 900. And essentially what the writer Paul is saying in this, it's almost a hymn of the early church. What he's saying here is the sovereign God entered into suffering. That's what he's saying. Verse 6 of chapter 2. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. And we read about his passion, don't we, in the, in the New Testament. We read about his suffering in the garden and the, the nails and the beatings and the whip and the mocking and the, the ridicule and the hanging on the cross and, and all of that he went through. And so we have the sovereign God who entered into his creation, who should have welcomed him with open arms. And instead what they do, they, 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 they crucified him as a common criminal and mocked him. At the end of his life, we come to his passion and suffering. He was abandoned and denied and betrayed by all the people he had poured his life into. And on the cross, he was forsaken even by his father. Because God is both sovereign and suffering, we know that our suffering always has meaning. Even though we may not understand, we trust him without understanding at all. So I don't really have answers for you. I I can't explain what happened this week, and it could happen again. I can tell you this. We live in a fallen world, but we have a God who is sovereign over suffering, but has entered into suffering and understands what we're going through. And he says, when you go down the dark path, look for me, because I'll be there. I'm the one comforting you with my rod and my staff. And I understand what you've been through, and I understand what you're going through, and I've gone through it. But here's what I can promise you. It may be not this side of heaven, but on the other side of heaven, everything will be set right. That's my promise to you. So, does everything happen for a reason? I think I would say, yeah, it does. For those who love Christ, we may never know the reason. Job never found out why he was suffering. Never saw it. Don't know if it would have made a big difference if God had said, Oh, by the way, Job, I feel bad. You know, I, you went through a difficult time and 
the devil kind of got me over a barrel and I didn't know what to do and I panicked. Uh, what, is, what does God do? And at the end of Job, what he does is, Job says, if I can just hear from God, and God says, you want to hear from me? All right. And he does. Read the last like five to seven chapters of the book of Job because God does answer Job. But he doesn't give Job the answer that Job was looking for. And oftentimes the answer we're looking for. Why God? What God says to Job is this. Were you there when I laid the foundations of the earth? Because I don't remember you being there giving me counsel. Were you there when I did this? Were you there when I did this? Hey, help me out here. Were you there when I did this? And God is basically saying to Job, I'm God. I'm sovereign. I get to do what I want. And I understand everything much more than you do. You're just going to have to trust me with that. He never apologizes to Job. Job lost everything. He lost his health. He lost his wealth. He lost his family. He lost everything. And God doesn't come to him and say, I'm so sorry. I'll make it right. He says, I'm God. I'm sovereign. And you're not going to understand this. But your job is to trust me. And Paul says, God will work things out for those who love him for good. And it may, we may never understand on this side of heaven what that is. But he just says, when you go through that dark valley, understand, I'll be there with you. And I understand what you're going through. And that's the hope that we have. Would you stand with me? Let's pray. So, Father, we don't have all our answers, but we have the most important one, that you are God, you are sovereign, you do have a plan. And for those that love you, you can work things out for good. And our role is to trust you when it looks bleak, when we go down that dark path, when we don't have answers, when we don't understand. Help us to just trust that you not only understand our suffering, our pain, but you walk with us, carry us need be. And thank you, Father, for the comfort and encouragement that you bring to us in those dark times when we not only lean on you, but we cry out to you and you answer. We give you praise and thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.